I'm in a twixt between two this morning. Um, I don't really have a failure to tell, share with you about myself. But I do have one that I observed that to this day I'll never forget. We're going to be looking at purity. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Years ago, uh, saw a young man who grew up in our church, someone who grew up in our church, still here on staff. He's in high school, and he came in. Uh, we were playing dominoes or something, I don't know. But anyway, he came in, and he'd been um, working out, football and all that, and he had his mind set on just uh, milk and Oreo cookies. And so he came in, and we'd been sitting there playing dominoes, and we were drinking lemonade. So anyway, he just walks in, and he's just got his mind on that, as he would call it, vitamin D milk and Oreos. And out of the corner of my eye, I could see him pour a big old glass of vitamin D milk. And I could just, you know, you can tell when someone just can't wait to get that, you know, just either get that first bite or that first drink. So he just grabbed a glass off the cabinet there and got his Oreo cookies all set up there and everything and got one, got a cookie in his hand, one hand, got that big old glass of milk in the other. And he just took a big old swig of that milk. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw something very unusual. I saw him come down, mouth open, and milk just running out. I looked, I looked at him, and I, I didn't know what had happened. And he said, while he, the milk was still running out of his mouth, there's something wrong with this milk. <laughs> well, what he had done is he had grabbed a glass that had just a little bit of lemonade. And so once that milk hit it, it curdled, and he had in his mind, he was going to have that fresh, cold vitamin D milk, and it wasn't. It was curdled and bad, and it just dripped down him. So that's not me. I didn't do that. I, I, I did happen to know uh, that lemonade and vinegar will curdle milk just real, real quick. But this morning, I found myself um, wanting to talk more seriously about this particular um, beatitude. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. There are several things that I would like to um, unpack in this. But before I do, I, I will share... Uh, my personal experience of, of the joy of things that are pure. I had the opportunity, as I've shared over the years, back in oh, 82, 83, was uh, in the Middle East, was able to do some studying and everything. And one day, um, there were several of us that decided that we didn't want to go to the library. We didn't want to go and do our stuff. We didn't want to go. Uh, we had kind of a free day. So we decided that we would, we would uh, backpack or we would hike from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho down what they call the Wadi Kelp. 
Now, the Wadi Cal just means it's a river system, and they have a series of wadis, but this particular one was interesting to us because it had, there were several uh, archaeological sites. Uh, we could still see the Roman road. Historically or traditionally, that Roman road is where we believe uh, that Jesus was referring to when the Good Samaritan was on his road to Jericho and fell, and, and there was a man who had fell among thieves. So we were wanting to go. What we did not realize, because w- when we left Jerusalem, uh, we had a we had a shrewd or a taxi take us out to the outskirts of the city, just to put a place. It was like 64, 65 degrees, and it was about 4.35 o'clock in the morning. And so we were going to uh, hike. Uh, and so from Jerusalem, which is uh, higher, it's on the mountain. In fact, uh, the Mount of Jerusalem, or on the mountain, is, is the dividing line between uh, the east and the west. And so everything from Jerusalem flows either to the west to the Mediterranean or it flows east to the Jordan River all right so we started hiking and we realized it was wonderful uh, and it was uh, enjoyable and everything for about the first couple of hours but once the sun came up we began to notice uh, that there was a a, a vast um, radical change in the temperature and by the time the sun came up and it had been up about uh, an hour, uh, you know, we knew that it was already it was 80 plus degrees. And we knew that by the time we were going to get to Jericho, it would be around 105 and 110 degrees. So it was a vast change. So we had, uh, we had we'd packed. Uh, none of us were really, uh, though everyone else in the group were professors, we were not, you know, did did not really know all about the uh, landscape but it was a very difficult landscape it was very harsh everything I can remember as we were walking the sun came up uh, myself I was thinking why in the world would this be a promised land because as I've said over the years what struck me was that everything was was rocky it had thorns it was dusty and the most precious commodity over there even to this day is water whoever controls the water has power and that's what the roman army knew and that's what all the armies have known because uh, jerusalem middle east uh, there they know that to get from one spot to the other you have to go through that and so you need water so anyway we're walking through there and at about 11 o'clock 11 30 we realized that um, we were still a ways off from a monastery called saint uh, saint gregory's and we were a little worried that we had not packed and did not have enough water uh, it was hot, uh, it was dry, it was, like I say, dusty. And you find yourself uh, really thinking about, uh, well, I wish I had some water, I wish we had that. Well, we're, we're coming up, and it's almost like, um, oh, I won't say desert, but it's very, very, it's the wilderness. And you can imagine that uh, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. But 
we were just starting. We'd already thrown away sandwiches. We didn't want sandwiches. We, we, want, we started dumping things that we thought we needed, and we didn't need them. Well, we're coming up, and all we could see is, is just, you know, a vast, uh, a vast landscape with no relief in sight whatsoever. Well, we're walking, and then all of a sudden, uh, within about 20 yards, we, we realize that there's this deep ravine. And as we get to the ravine, our first thought was, well, how are we going to cross that? Well, then we got to the edge of the ravine. And like I say, I've shared this before, but when we got to the edge of the ravine and looked down, it was the most amazing view I think I have ever seen in my life at that point in what I, where I was. Water, springs of water were coming out of the limestone rocks, just trickling until they would shape and form small waterfalls. And there was this deep blue um, pool. And we, we all did exactly the same thing without saying a word. We, we just scurried as quickly as we could down there, threw our packs down, and jumped into the water, closing everything. We were, we were so hot. But I walked over to the spring that was coming out, and, and I took that drink of water, and in my mind, I thought, this is water from God. It was the most pure, cool, as Marty Robbins sang, cool, clean water. And it was so refreshing and it was amazing because an hour before that, we were barely speaking to each other. We were just trekking work. But once we had that water and we had been refreshed, we were laughing. We were talking about everything. We had noticed everything. And for me, that illustrates the joy of things that are pure. So this morning, I want to make the case not that I have to, but I want to make the case why that we need to really look at this particular um, beatitude that Jesus was saying. Blessed, there is a bliss of those who have a pure heart because they're going to see God. We place a lot of emphasis upon purity, even in our everyday lives. We are concerned about our air, pure air. We're concerned about pure water. I watch with quite in, uh, the interest uh, of the water supplies uh, that have been tainted with lead and how it's caused all kinds of problems uh, up north. We certainly want pure sugar. You know as well as I do that if you mix sugar and it gets a little bit of salt in it, it ruins the sugar. We we place a lot of interest on our, our bed linens, on our collars, on our hands, fingernails, scalp, clothes, kitchen sink. I mean, we, we understand the importance of purity in our everyday lives. Kitchenware, I mean, I don't know, probably all of us at some point have sent some fork or knife back because it was not washed, it was not clean. Counters, we've gone through two, three years of just doing all that, being very, very con carpets, I just made a list of things, carpets, uh, diapers, 
We, we know that. That's, that's an imperative, clean diaper, you know. We recognize the importance of purity in our everyday lives. And we, we also recognize the importance of realizing that something is not pure or not clean. And especially when it comes to health or things, we, we realize that uh, things that are impure, whether it be air or water, can affect our lungs, can affect our blood, can affect our stomach, can affect our eyes, all kinds of things. And, and so because of that, we realize that we need to keep these things pure as much as possible. Uh, you can even buy air purifiers, water purifiers, etc., etc. And And then what struck me was that we have such a determination that we need to address such issues. In other words, in our country, we have the EPA, you know, Environmental Prote- Protection Agency. They address air quality, uh, water quality. We have all kinds of things, even the medical community, that addresses uh, the, the issue of impurity because of the problems and the consequences that can take place. Now, the efforts in this, are, I think, are twofold. The first is, if, if you go into the hospital and you have an impurity in your blood or move into septic or, or you have something wrong with your eyes, or your lungs, the first thing they want to do is remove whatever is causing, remove the impurity, whatever's causing the problem. That's the first thing they want. But the second thing that they want to do is always try to repair the destruction or the damage that impurities have caused, all right? Now, sometimes the cause can be removed, but the damage remains. But then there are other times that the cause can be removed uh, and, and the damage can be reversed to a certain extent. But in both, case, in both cases, I can say with certainty that it is advantageous to deal with it at the very least, to stop the progress of that particular disease or impurity and hopefully be able to get some sort of restoration, even though we are told you'll never be back to that point or there's been too much damage, etc., etc. all right? But that brings me, that brings me to what Jesus says because he speaks of the heart. Now, what he says is, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. My first thought, and always has been, is that an impossibility? Because as I look to myself or I look inside myself, I know that I was not pure in heart. So the damage is there. There's impurities. Perhaps they can be removed but can my heart be restored? That's the interesting thing about this, uh, and that's why I wanted to take some time. The heart that Jesus refers to here is not the physical heart, but it's the spiritual. We would call the spiritual heart. It's the source of all of our interests in life. That's what Jesus is talking about. Blessed are the pure in the heart of all of our interests, they, we will see God. 
While Jesus always acknowledged that we live a physical life, he also always emphasized that it should not be at the expense of a spiritual life. In fact, he says as real as the physical life is that we live, it is as, as real, if not more real. And I, I, I contend that it, he was always saying as real as life is, the spiritual life is more real because the physical life doesn't last, but the spiritual life does. So he would teach that as we care for the physical part of our life, even more so, we should care for our spiritual life. Now, now you can see where I'm going. If we have so much interest in purity and cleanliness and all kinds of things in everyday life, do you not think that we should have as much interest and as much and put as much effort into the purity of our own hearts. The Proverbs says, keep thy heart with all diligence, because out of it come all issues of life. The writer of Proverbs also says that as one thinks in their heart, so they are. So the heart, as Jesus is referring to here, is that which determines how we live, how we talk, what we pursue, what we do. And in fact, if we were to look at um, how we take care of cleanliness or uncleanliness in our everyday life, I think we would have to confess that so often we fall short for taking care of the impurities of our heart, given that we spend so much time, money, and effort on everything else. We wash our cars. Why? Because our cars are dirty. We vacuum them out. Why? Because they're dirty. Yet when it comes to the heart, we seem to just, and I think this is, this is why Jesus was addressing this, there is a bliss, there is a blessedness, there is a joy in things that are pure, particularly the pure heart. There's a joy in it. The kind of joy that you want that vitamin D milk, ice cold, rather than it being uh, bothered or, you know, impured with vinegar or lemonade. You want that pure water that doesn't taste like sulfur. It just tastes like it's just pure and right. So, Jesus taught this not only here, but I remember what I said when we started this. Jesus looked out over the crowds, the multitudes, and then he turned to his disciples, and essentially he was saying, they need this. They need purity of heart. Now, why would he say that looking at the multitudes? Because at looking at the multitudes, much like he would look at us today, he would, he looks at our heart and he sees that no matter how we appear on the outside, that we have some problems, uh, impurities, things that can cause disease. Maybe not a lot at the beginning, but if left unchecked, the damage will continue. And it continues and continues until our heart becomes what? Hardened. There is a disease, uh, asbestosis, mesothelioma. The fearsome thing about asbestosis is that what it does, because once 
you have asbestosis. You cannot reverse it. But what it does is it makes the lungs to where they lose their elasticity. You cannot force air out and you cannot take air in hardly. And so it becomes the point where asbestos or whatever locks into the lung, locks into the lining and causes so much damage, not immediately, 20, 30 years, but once it is, it always is and cannot be reversed. I thank God that our heart is not like that. Even if we become hardened in our heart, the scriptures tell us that it can be reversed. Jesus taught that the heart is where we have good treasure or evil treasure. Jesus taught that out of the heart, and let me read what, let me share with you what his words were. He says, those things that come from the mouth, they come first from the heart, and that's what defiles a person. From the heart comes evil, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things that defile a person. They're impure. And if left unchecked, the disease is complete. And what does that mean? They will not see God. That's, that's the completion of the heart disease. So, in Jesus' teaching, that while we are concerned and should be concerned <clears throat> about physical things, it should never, ever be at the expense of the spiritual health or the spiritual purity of our lives. In fact, he made a relational, a, a, a statement of relation that was very interesting to me, and we've, we're familiar with it. He was talking to the Pharisees, scribes and Pharisees, and he made a statement that I'd really never really thought of, you know, kind of what I call a cause and effect or relational statement. He says, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of lies, extortion, self-indulgence, and pride. First, he says, cleanse the inside of the cup and dish so that, so that the outside may be clean also. You're like a whitewashed tomb, appears beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all kinds of filthiness. Even so, you appear outwardly righteous, but inside you are full of hypocrisy." And it was, it's, it was a startling realization that what he actually was saying, which we kind of know, because the scriptures say, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. His point was, don't deal with the outside of the physical things first, because it doesn't change the inside. However, if you deal with the inside, the heart, take care of that, then that spills out into the, the way we act and the way we live. Unlike the physical diseases that can leave us, all of us, with an ongoing condition, even though we've corrected whatever medical issue we might have encountered, 
we still sometimes have to live with the consequence of that disease. It cannot be reversed. However, with the heart, and I want to emphasize that again, with the heart, the source of everything that is important in our life, we can not only have the impurities removed, we can also regain the full health of our heart. And that is a miracle. We would say something is a miracle if someone has a disease or has some sort of problem in their lives and all of a sudden, and we do say it's a miracle, and all of a sudden, everything is restored. Even more so, it is that way with the heart. God looked on mankind centuries ago. He had recreated man. And what he saw, Genesis chapter 6 tells us this, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of, of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's a disease. And that's one that is, if left unchecked, has profound destructive consequences, not only for a person, but the culmination of people, for societies, for towns, for families. You see, the health of a family always starts in the heart. The health of an individual, spiritual, always starts in the heart. The health of a community, it's the heart of the community. The health of a nation, it's the heart of a nation. So as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, well, Jesus looked at the multitudes, and then he turned to his disciples, and he began teaching this. He began teaching these Beatitudes. And I'm convinced that when he saw the people, much like he would look at us, he would see we need purity to find joy in our lives. And if we don't have that purity, not only will we be absent of joy, which is the truth, by the way, but also, more importantly, we will not see God. And I was thinking about that. It was God who said in the book of Isaiah, he said, my name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, but I also dwell with him also that is of a humble and contrite spirit. I will revive the spirit of the humble and I will revive the heart of the one who is sorry for how they've lived. Revive the heart. It's amazing. Bring the heart alive. But not only start it up, there's more. Prophet Ezekiel records this. The prophet says, rid yourselves of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit, my people. So when it comes to the heart, the spiritual heart, the spiritual that we're talking about, not only is it possible to have the impurities, the disease removed, but it's also possible that all effects of that disease in the heart can also be removed and the heart can be restored. And it's just like, brand new. I think David captures this in Psalm 51, and he captures it 
appropriately and accurately because he wrote this particular psalm because of his failure with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband. Amazing, we think of David in many instances as the slayer of giants and the great king, but he had failed and he had stumbled. And he wrote in Psalm 51, and I won't read all of it, but I want to read a few of the, uh, the phrases. Because he recognized what? He recognized, I have impurity in my heart. And the second thing he recognized is, I need you, God, to heal me. Right? He writes, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is always before me. Purge me with hyssop, which is a, a disinfectant, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. There may be a lot of things that we have to deal with in our physical lives that disease affects and we can't do much about. We suffer it. We shoulder it. We try to understand it. We pursue. We spend. We pray. But we're still left with whatever's there. However, when it comes to the heart, God has promised us that he can do the impossible. He can not only remove, cleanse, but he can restore the damage of a person's heart. So as I come to that, I'm going to come to a close. Because again, I think a lot of things don't need a lot of things said. The scriptures are very clear about this. The psalmist wrote and he says, I am poor and needy and my heart is wounded within me. We of all people know our heart. No one else does, but we do. The scriptures tell us that it is our hearts that will condemn us, and that's the most important thing. So the first thing is to recognize, as we would physically, something needs to be clean, the counter, the car, my fingernail, whatever. The same recognition is my heart needs to be clean. It's wounded within me. We also know that if we don't, or if we, as the psalmist says, cherish the impurity in my heart, the Lord will not listen to me. I like what the psalmist says, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin or have that disease again. And I think that's very crucial. But I like what Paul said, and I think it I think it is the uh, linchpin. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things, what does that mean? The old disease, the old scarrings, the old things that we had in our heart have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Oh, there's such a joy Believe me, a joy in a heart that's been cleansed and healed. It's a greater joy than water, than clean air, <laughs> than pure milk. 
It's a greater joy. It's the joy knowing what? Not only that we now have a heart that's been touched by God, but secondly, and very importantly, we can see God. Jesus said, and I've wondered about this, okay, we go to the doctor, we go to physicians when we have problems in the physical life. We want their answers, we want their guidance, we do whatever we, what they suggest. But what do we do about our heart? How do we do that? To get on YouTube and watch things? Or do I just read whatever's coming down the pipe? Do I just kind of figure it out myself? Well, we know what that's like when you try to self-medicate. It doesn't go over very good. So how do I deal with the impurities of my heart? Jesus told his disciples, he says, you are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. I have found that to be true, that that is the greatest antiseptic, the words of the Lord. But I've also found that those same words are the greatest salve for the heart and for its hurt. I've learned also that it is the greatest preventative that there is. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The scriptures, and the fact the psalmist wrote, now he recognized this. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, David writes, or who will be able to stand in his holy place? And then he says, only he who has clean hands and a pure heart, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from God of his salvation as there is joy in our physical life with things that are pure there is even more joy when our heart has been purified i read a statement and i and i thought about it from a a british theologian it caught my eye in the midst of a a lot of writing but he said only the passionate love of purity can save one from impurity. And I thought about that and I thought that is exactly right. So this morning, let this beatitude settle on our minds and our hearts. Blessed are the pure in heart. They're the ones who will be able to see God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words that enrich and guide and reveal to us I pray, Lord, that while we do ask for strength to be faithful, strength to be steadfast, we pray, Lord, that we would be good witnesses, but, Lord, may we pray also for purity of heart, perhaps first and foremost. May we pray that our hearts would be cleansed by your presence, that you touch us, you help us understand why it is so important that we take time and deal with our heart. I pray today, Lord, if anyone's here, and I think they know, everyone knows, we each know our hearts. I pray, Lord, that we would see the simple invitation, you are clean through my word, come unto me. 
May we each do that in our own ways, and we'll give you thanks in our Lord's name. Amen. Let's stand this morning as we come to a close, and we'll sing a, a hymn this morning, <clears throat> and we can sing it where you are in the pew. You can come to the altar, but the main thing is, the important thing is that you recognize you need God for the health of your heart. What page? Uh, 342. 342. We'll sing one verse this morning of this hymn, giving people opportunity to, if you'd like to come or pray where you are, as we sing. Thy word is a lamp to my feet.